This episode of the Accounting Insiders podcast is brought to you in part by Zero. Zero is a powerful cloud accounting software that improves efficiencies across your practice. With all client data stored on a single unified ledger, you and your clients can easily access and collaborate on the same set of books. Zero's advisor tools and automation solutions reduce time-consuming manual tasks and put data entry on autopilot. Work faster and more efficiently than ever before with Zero. Visit zero.com/accountinginsiders to learn more. Hello, welcome to another uh, episode of Accounting Insiders. My name is Gary Dehart. I'm the publisher of Insightful Accountant, the host of Accounting Insiders. My guest today is Ben Richmond, who is a country manager at US for Zero. Uh, Ben's out of uh, out of Denver. It's been, I think you said, seven years in Denver, eleven years with Zero, hailing from uh, the wilds of New Zealand, right? That's correct. Yeah, seven years here, and I'm coming to you from a very snowy Denver. It's gone from very warm to very cold, so it's going to be a cold walk home. Well, it's um, and how far is that? How far is the walk? Uh, it's not too bad. It's only a 10, 12 minute walk, so I've got the right coat for it. Okay, yeah. well, perfect. And then uh, then only forty five minutes, an hour, what to the slopes? What do you ski? Yeah, I love skiing. Yeah, it's uh, if if it's not a holiday weekend and you pick the right time to go up the mountain, you can be on on a, on a ski slope just over an hour. So, uh, but if you pick the wrong time, it could be a lot more. So, yeah, where do you go typically? Uh, my favorite is actually Beaver Creek. It's just that little bit. Um, it's just past Vale, so it's about ten yeah. minutes past Vale. But it's that extra ten minutes seems to cut out a lot of day trippers. So, you got a beautiful mountain, lots of runs, and uh, not as many people. Gosh, we skied there years ago. When I say years ago, that was probably I hate to even think about it. Oh, gosh. Probably 28, maybe even 30 years ago. It's been a long yeah. time since I've been there. We went, and I, the last time I really even went, what I would call real skiing was, that's was probably about 15 years ago too. But I'm with you. I love it. It is so much fun. Love getting out there in the weather. It's just no uh, no agenda. That's what I think what I like about it. You really yeah, we're, we're pretty lucky here with the city because Denver's big enough to be a city and it's nice and central for flying around the U.S., but you can get into the mountains really quickly. So it's a, we're pretty pretty lucky and grateful for that. Yeah. And do you have a spring uh, activity? Yeah, I, mean, I took up mountain biking a couple of years ago uh, during the pandemic. It was a great um, great exercise. So that keeps you fit um, and you, you can see even more scenery with that. Yeah, my, my son got into that two or three years ago and bought a decent bike and he had a pretty big crash. Fortunately, we got a call from this guy who man, this man was at the bike park and he, he's like, so I'm with your son. He's okay. But and then he started rattling off all these things that he thought was wrong with him. It's like, I think he may have you know broken his shoulder, broken his wrist. I mean, he's naming off all these things. He ended up with a broken pinky. That was it. But yep. he, he, oh, he like hit a tree really hard. Like his buddies were filming it. He hit a tree really, really hard. Um, and fortunately, yeah, that's all he broke. <laughs> he broke his pinky. Yeah. So. Oh, that's lucky. I'm always, I've had a few close calls and I'm always like, oh, I'm getting, um, some of those, some of those, uh, accidents don't look like they would be fun to try and recover from. So it's fun going fast, but then you often start to start to try and slow yourself down a little bit. Cause yeah, the, the, the crashes hurt. Yes. Yes, they do. And the older you get, the more they hurt. So, <laughs> so recently when we, when we first set this time up to, to have this call, which we, we've been working on it for about a month now, I think, um, zero had just launched a, um, or just released a cash flow report, which is a report basically on cash flow and ca impact of cash flow on small businesses. If I, if I'm correct in framing that, and basically it's kind of four major highlights were 
Uh, sorry, looking down here, because I just want to read it to make sure I get it right. But so it's looking at short-term financial challenges, the financial consequences of cash flow issues, impact on personal well-being, and then strategies deployed in, uh, in dealing with these cash flow issues based on the current state of, of the economy. And kind of in the green room, we were, we were talking, and you know, there is the appearance that you know, all is well and economy strong, you know, the stock market seems to be doing okay. We're certainly told by government that everything's great. Don't worry about, uh, don't worry about behind the, the curtains over here. But um, from the, the reports perspective, again, kind of hitting those four major highlights, what, what the reports show kind of from, uh, you know, for small businesses? Yeah, it's a great question. Look, I mean, we, we 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 get a lot out of these reports, so we do we do quite a few reports regularly, both looking at our own data that's anonymized and aggregated. We do a lot of survey data um, as well, and sort of for two key reasons. One, it really helps us inform um, and understand what small business needs are, and how we can think about how we solve that in the products that we build, um, how we can give that information to the accountants and bookkeepers that we partner with. So they can come at it from an advisory perspective. But you hit the nail on the head. I think there's so much noise out there and so many economic indicators still look good. But when you sort of, um, when we dug into this, um, you know, and we asked, and so we surveyed over 540 small businesses here in the US um, and asked them about, you know, what are your top short-term financial challenges? 40% of them responded limited or inconsistent cash flow. And then even more worrying, some was 29% called out that they don't actually have any cash reserved um, for, for, for any sort of rainy day or issues that, you know, came, they were the two things that came out on top. So, that, you know, there's not nearly a third of small businesses don't have a rainy day fund. Um, and we are heading into, um, you know, some more it's tougher economic times. I mean, it's definitely different industries are challenges challenged at the moment and i think so that that to me is super worrying and i think the other challenge is just how active a lot of small businesses a lot of small businesses don't actually know uh, aren't looking at running a cash flow they don't know what their cash flow looks like in the next three to six months um and and there's some real big challenges and so when you think about what the consequences of having cash flow issues you know so we asked this in the survey um the number one consequence that they were facing was 45% of them have not been able to pay themselves. So, you know, when you're a small business owner and you might be just yourself, or you might employ a couple of people, um, you're the last one on the list to get paid off. And when you're trying to keep the business going, right. And 22% of them, um, you know, were struggling, were not being able to pay the bills. Um, and, and even sort of at the worst end of the spectrum, 17% um, were unsure if they could even keep the business going. So, um, you know, while there's lots of business out there where things are going well, there is definitely challenges starting to creep in, particularly on cash flow. Yeah. And I think that's going on what you were just talking about. I think as a small business owner, um, I think that is one of the most difficult questions you have to ask yourself. And that is, does it make sense to keep this business going? Yeah. And, you know, especially if it's something you put, you know, put time, you put money, you put effort, blood, sweat and tears into it. And, you know, okay, maybe it's growing, maybe it's not growing as fast as you want it to grow, or, or maybe your customers aren't paying you fast enough, and, and it's really causing a pinch in, in many, many places. Um, and that's a hard question to ask yourself, yeah. but do you think, and now I'm going to, I'm going to stray out of the report for a minute, 
But is that a question, in your opinion, and your your uh, your background is accounting and, and audit? Uh, you deal with accountants clearly on a on a daily basis, just about. I imagine is that a question that the accountant needs to be asking his his client or her client? Yeah, and I think that's that's the point, right? The, the, the first piece is so many of these small businesses don't actually know um, what does my cash flow look like in three, six, nine months. Um, and they, they've done no scenario mapping on sort of worst case, best case, likely case. Um, and they don't understand how the levers they can pull to navigate that. Um, and, 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 and while we see huge growth in the CAS services that ABs are providing, we need them to be, you know, this is a real opportunity for ABs to be getting out there and really going, hey, who are my businesses that need help? Um, I'll, I'll share a personal story on it. Actually, my sister, who is uh, much smarter than I am in a really hardworking small business owner, um, has a great business, um, fantastic products, fantastic reputation. She sells horse supplies. Um, and we just went through a pretty tough couple of months and I sort of give advice from time to time and have pseudo become an investor, um, you know, had a massive cash flow crunch. So she was running the business really well, focused on the product as many small businesses are, not getting regular advice from an advisor. Her accountant was helping her optimize tax and, had this, you know, an unforeseen event hit where we had, we had a cyclone in the hometown down in New Zealand and the big trade show, which is a big cash flow winner for her, got cancelled um, right after you've stocked up for that. And it really proves to me, like, you can have a great business, you can have a great product, a great reputation, but cash flow is the fuel to the car. So, you know, Ferrari in the garage without any fuel to run the thing is, is a very expensive paperweight. Right. And so it just showed you how quickly the whole thing ground to a halt she wasn't able to order new stock, satisfy website orders. The reputation of the business started to go down. And watching the emotional toll that took, because that business is obviously the lifeblood for her, the people that work for her, the lifeblood for her family. Um, and there was nothing wrong with the underlying business. But when the cash flow crunch hits, the sales hit. And we had to go through that exact process of looking at, well, let's really dig into the business, map out some cash flow scenarios. Because if we are going to look to find funding to get through this cash flow crunch, right? Like, like what is the funding to actually get it out of this cash flow crunch and get it back on track? And then right back to your point of the question, we also need to ask, is that the right thing to do, right? If the business under the underlying business health is not good, um, we could be pouring good money to bed. And I think the importance for ABs is small business owners have an emotional connection to that business. Yeah. They may have built it, they've taken yeah. over from someone in their family through succession. And that can often cloud a really objective mindset around that. The other scary thing is we know a lot of small businesses are powered by security and funding over the home mortgage, right? And so you often hear small businesses that are, you know, taking money from family or extending the home mortgage to keep pouring in. If you're pouring good money into bad, um, then you, actually the end result is going to be worse. And so that's where I do think the role of an AB that can come in and, um, yes, consider the the emotional aspects of it as well consider the other you know, the non um non-quantitative aspects but actually come in at the numbers basis and go like do we do we have a strategy are the margins good are all those things good so that if we put poor money into this we know we can trade out of it is it worth doing that and while it's a tough role to play it's actually a role that we are best set up to play because we can help them you know guide them to that reality of hey this might be the right time to cut loose because I, you know, my ultimate goal is to help you trade out of this and find a way to do that. But if we can't see a pathway forward once we've done this work, then I'd far rather you cut your loose, cut your loss now before it gets even bigger. Right. I heard a, I don't know, are you familiar with Andy Stanley? He has a podcast. He's a 
mega church preacher here in the Atlanta area. And he has yeah, a podcast. Yeah, he's it's very business oriented podcast. And he was sharing a story in one of his podcasts where he talked about um two guys that ran Intel back, I can't remember the date, 70s, maybe early 70s, early 80s. And um they basically said, you know, one of them said, okay, well, we're we're barely surviving in our core business as it is. And his overall point was you've got to ask yourself on occasion, you know, if somebody else were to come in and take over this business, what changes would they make? And and I think, you know, that's a, that's a question that the advisor could very easily ask. And when they look at that cash flow or look at the bank statements and say, look, <laughs> you know, two months from now, unless X, Y, and Z changes, you're out of business. Yeah. And you know, what changes can we make today to prevent that from happening, you know, tomorrow? Um, yeah. Well, I think too, you're you're a fresh pair of eyes, you're an objective set of eyes, but also a lot of ABs and the, the ABs they work with in their network have a lot of a deep experience in certain industries, right? And we're seeing many more accountants and bookkeepers are actually specializing in vertical niches. And so that small business owner may not be able to see the 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 wood from the trees. Right. I mean, it's got that when you get that emotional connection to it, you often um, you lose that objectivity. But the AB is coming out from a, you know, let's say it's a retail business or an e-commerce business. You know, you, you're going to have a general idea based on all the clients you work with on what good looks like. Um, and so that that that's there's real power in that advice because you can you can help sort of pull them out of the business and the day-to-day stress of running the business and actually look at what what all this data actually means and help them understand, hey, this is what best practice looks like. You know, your margins are here. The margin of a business that I generally work with in the space is here. And we need to understand why that is. And, you know, small business is tough. The the small business owner has to wear every hat. It's It's not a corporate where there's a strategy team and an HR team and a marketing team. They're wearing every hat. And so, I mean, I've heard it was, I mean, when I was in public practice and used to support, it was amazing how you would look at a product line and go, there's no margin on this product that you're selling the most things of here. And they would go, oh, it's a very defined strategy as a loss leading product to pull customers into the store. And again, now with technology, we can go, okay, well, let's look at customers that buy that product. And is that coming true? So right. you've got a strategy here. This is a loss leading product, which drives sale of other products with that a higher margin. Well, let's jump into some of the reporting from the tools we're using and seeing it's true. And I remember in that case, when we did look at it, the, 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 I call it businesses need to think about myth busting. And I think advisors can help. Let's challenge some of those things we think are true. I love the one where you know, people think that the Great Wall of China can be seen from space, but apparently it can't. But we all believe that. So um, we, you know, we, we, we looked at that product and said, well, it's not true. The customers that are buying this product that you're making no money on, which is a real pain on the cash flow, those customers aren't going on to buy other higher margin products. So um, the, the strategy isn't working. And so we should we should consider whether we pull out of that product. So again, that's where just a fresh set of eyes can really help pull them out and, and bust some of those myths. And and I believe would be greatly appreciated by you know the business. Yeah. As well. yep. yeah, I think it's there's sort of two things to it. And we've we did a report a very long time ago. And one thing is we asked a whole lot of small businesses, where are you getting this type of it? Now, where do you think you should get advice on how your business is performing? You get help around, do you have a cash flow problem or not? And different pathways to deal with whatever scenarios you're looking at. And most of them would give answers like, oh, my friend does it. I've got a customer who's actually a CPA that gives me some advice from time to time. 
when we said, well, who should actually be doing this as a service? They're like, well, maybe my bookkeeper or my CPO. Um, and then we talk to the CPA uh, sector and a lot of the sort of challenges, a lot of them go, well, we don't, our customers aren't asking for it or do they, we think we could provide that, but they're not asking for it. And so I think on the CPA side, we've got two challenges. One, we've got a labor shortage, right? We've got, we're under the crunch. We've had many years of tough tax seasons. We're not, we're struggling to get through that basic work and the tax work, which is really important still in the tax planning. Yeah that we're struggling to free up time to do this type of work. And secondly, and I know sales is often seen as a dirty word in the accounting and bookkeeping profession, but you know th there is real value that you can add here. We need to show the small businesses that we can be that help. So how do you find those signals that your small business clients might need this help? And I always say being, being connected on cloud technology is a big start because you can see how it's going and yeah. then reach out and go, hey, we, we've had a look at your numbers and there might be a cash flow issue. So you know you need to be actively out there offering this service. Um, so I encourage accountants and bookkeepers to think about how do you get more connected to the client. Uh, I think cloud technology is a massive help there. How do you free up capacity in your firm to be able to have time to do this? And again, you got to think about how you create practice efficiency through digitization um, so that you can go beyond tax. It's all interconnected um, because the small businesses need this help. They're not getting it now. Um, and 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 they do see you as the trusted advisor. So there's almost this, and, and, and small businesses always have this do-it-yourself mentality. And I do think like, hey, let's let's show small business that it's smarter to go from do-it-yourself to do it together. Um, right. I might be a great, uh, I might be, you know, make the best cakes in town, but doesn't mean I can balance my checkbook or understand, you know, a cash flow forecast. So, so exactly. what, um, in, in the report, was it showing, did it, it, did dive into the kind of the financial consequences of cash flow issues. I think was was the second point. I don't think we've touched on that yet, did we? Did yeah, there was a bit of that. So I think I mean the big thing we saw was that um, nearly half of them aren't able to pay themselves, right? And half small business owners. So working, having to work harder than ever to try and keep things going. They're the last ones to get paid. Yep. Nearly a fifth of them, or twenty two percent, were not able to pay bills, um, and and seventeen percent. Um, we're, we're unsure if they can keep the business going. Um, that's right, that's right. What, what was interesting about that, and this goes back to uh, what does that mean from a mental health perspective? So we, we, we asked some questions around the impact on personal well-being. 58% of the respondents believe that cash flow issues have negatively impacted their personal well-being over the last 12 months, with the top three impacts being 84% stress, 79% anxiety, and 64% sleepless nights. And so when you look at some of the anecdotal things that were shared as well, there was a lot of, I'm having to work harder than ever to try and keep the thing going. I'm, I'm having to miss time with family, spend time in the weekends. And so and again, when you think about um, there's two elements, more stress than ever, can't disconnect from the business, which we know it's important to take time out and recharge. Um, financial stress is, is, is incredibly painful um, and and uh, this is a funny analogy, but I always say you might look at a client that's in a really tough space, and they might, you know, giving them there might when you when you do look at some scenarios around best and worst and likely case around where the business could go, the story mightn't be pretty, but there is a sense of confidence of knowing where you are. And I always use the analogy: we've all probably done a holiday at one point in our life where we went overseas and we got a bit excited and carried away maybe a few too many margaritas and we went heavy on the credit card. And you come back from the trip and you don't really want to check the credit card bill. You sort of right. 
you dig your head in the sand, right? And so the anxiety, every day you don't, the anxiety builds. Right. And there's something quite therapeutic about the, the, the point where you actually log in, check the statement balance, you see the damage, and then you start to build a plan of, okay, how, how am I going to build myself back from that? And to me, that is, if we can, even if the story is not great, if we can help the small businesses really understand where they're at today, what the, you know, some cash flow scenarios that look at where they're going to go in the future and start to plan through, hey, what are some of the levers that we can pull? Under this scenario, we might need to go find additional funding. Is there options through the bank? Is there options through family? Um, making sure we keep the point you made at the start around, is there a point where we have to cut our losses? Mm -hmm. um, what are other levers we could pull today that are in front of us? There is a really, there's a real sense of calm that comes from once you've done that work. It may not be a great story, but you now know what you can control. You now know what you can't, and you've got much more of a plan to go forward with. And that's that's probably one of the biggest things you can do to help a small business owner's well-being improve. And I think a lot of accountants and bookkeepers probably under don't realize the impact that they can have on their small business clients. Um, mental health and well-being, right? We often think we can help them with the tax, we can help them understand their numbers. You know, when the partners that I see that are doing this well, uh, are, and you think about the number of small businesses they touch and the scale of small businesses they're getting to, they're, they're playing a huge part on helping improve mental health and well-being of the small business community. Um, it's probably not something we think of that we are, but we are. Um, that, that's the role that we can play when we do this well. Yeah. And so, so well, that's a, a great segue into the last point. And that was around the kind of strategies deployed was one of the other key questions that um, that was asked in that survey. I'm reading over here some of my other screen just to um, see what those high points were. So what and what the survey show out on that? Yeah, so the big ones, so the three top things that came through and what are the strategies you've deployed to stimulate revenue and cut costs? Um, that was the question, sort of three things that came back. Obviously, 48% of people said that increased prices. 43% um, had worked to cut and reduce overheads. Um, and 34% had, had said they'd reduce marketing and spend. One thing I would say, though, is like, you know, you probably think that's a bit weird. If you're reducing your marketing cost, how's that helping uh, cash flow or increase revenue? I think it, it's not always a cost out exercise, right? There's also a spend efficiency. So right. there is a world we're in now of disciplined growth. So looking at your marketing spend and going, is it, you know, often if we get bogged down in the running of the business or have I got help to understand is my marketing spend as effective as it could be? You know, I, you know, the old 80-20 rule, you might have a, a mass, a, a small portion of your marketing investment is probably what's driving the greatest return. There's probably other areas of your marketing investment that aren't working well. And so businesses looking at those things to go, you know, I might cut those areas back because they're not performing put a bit more gas on this piece because it is and actually freeing up a bit of cash as well. Um, Pricing is an interesting one. I mean, many, again, I think it's another area where ABs can help coach their small businesses. Um, you know, in a, an inflation market that we've all seen for every business, even the business that we operate in, you know, even when you're continuing to grow and build things or for your customers, um, your labor costs are going up, your building costs are going up, all the costs have been going up and they've been going crazy the last three years. And so, Small businesses do need to be thinking about, and as the survey showed, nearly half of them have increased their price. Prices do that. Us, I think us is, I, I sat at a forum with a whole lot of accounts from around the world at one of our Xericons, and it was one of the things called out around how bad the profession is of actually being confident to raise fees. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we need to do a better job of that as accounts and bookkeepers, but also making sure we're helping coach our small businesses to do that. So half of them have done it. Um, but again, there's still a lot out there that haven't, which probably could. Um, the other thing I say being mindful going forward is inflation is still big this year and it's starting to 
command and control. I don't think we're fully out of the woods um, on that as well, but yeah, and, and you can't just rely on price increases. So making sure you're being fair at the price increases to adjust your prices against um, the increased cost of doing business, which everyone has been doing. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, you also need to stand back and go, at the new price point, are we still delivering the value that makes our product or service competitive and the customer feeling like they're getting a fair value exchange? Um, but I'd say more, more often than not, there are businesses that are leaving value on the table and putting the cash flow at risk. So it's, that was actually kind of, a, I was surprised by that stat. It was good to see that nearly half of small businesses have have reacted that way. Yeah, being willing to raise the price. And, and, and I liked your point on the marketing spend because when I first read that, I'm like, no, don't reduce your marketing spend. That's like, yeah. and again, I'm, I'm on the media side, right? So for yeah. all of my all of my career, I've tried to get people to spend more money on marketing, and um, and we know that you know you spend less. Well, historically, if you yep. when it was a fairly black and white world with how you how you could market as a business, um, you know, if you cut your marketing, your, your business is going to go down. But what I like what you pointed out, and it's like you don't necessarily have to. You, well, one, you're not ending your marketing. You're you're moving the dollars and paying attention to where the dollars are being most effective, and exactly. you know cut out the waste, which which we know there's a lot of waste in marketing. Uh, yeah, and again, it's coming back to getting wasted, not but yeah, getting more scientific around it. I mean, there might be a certain channel that you market in that drives customers who buy one of your higher margin products. So. Mm -hmm you should want to spend more on marketing that, right? Because it's an effective channel, but it's also driving a customer the segment that's buying products that you get a higher margin from. Because you might have another channel which drives customers, but they don't actually spend a lot. You know, their average spend per client's low or they're, they're buying a product where you have a lower margin. So it's that just taking a bit of a scientific approach. And I think it is, you know, we've all come from an environment pre the pandemic and through the pandemic where suddenly money got really cheap and it was a very much a growth at all costs mentality. Um, debt was cheap and easy to get. Um, and a lot of people tried lots of new things and focused on growth. And we're in a different world now. And I think every business is thinking, you know, there are still growth opportunities out there, but you've got to be disciplined around, around how your growth and and you've got to be really, you know, in the past where we might have got a bit reckless around where we're putting money in the small business, we actually need to really make sure is that thing actually driving the ROI we want. And we still... You still got to, I mean, a lot many businesses that are starting up and growing, you still want to have money for test, you know, for experiments to try new things. Um, but keeping that sort of micro test and learn environment where you can test something out and work out if it plays and scale it if it does. Um, but it is, I mean, and the other thing to be really conscious of in this cash flow world is just as I said before, credit. We've seen the challenges for the regional banks. We've seen um, the banking system tighten up a bit and we've seen the interest rates go up. So debt is not cheap anymore. It's a lot more expensive than it was and it's harder to get. So you can't just call the bank manager up and go, can we extend the overdraft? Because it might be a bit harder this time. Right. And so one of my advice to small businesses is do not wait until you hit that moment where you're running out of money because it's really hard. It's It takes longer and it's harder to get debt in this environment. And often if you've waited to that moment where you're in the crunch, it's harder to get it. I always look back at the GFC when, you know, Ford and GM um, in 2008 and, you know, one of those players had gone and extended all its debt facilities ahead of time and had a lot of good headroom, the other didn't. Um, so again, if you if the business is running well, think about do I have the rainy day fund? So is it is it appropriate to go and make sure my debt facilities are appropriate and have room and headroom ahead of time? Because then you can be proactive, your accountant can work with you, 
you can you know you go and you'll show up well at the bank you'll show up prepared it's not like you're going to be as desperate um, and if it takes you a bit longer to find that money then you've got time so be proactive in making sure you've got the cash flow um, the funding to support versus right. waiting when, it, when it really bites you yeah and so what is uh so you've got reports like this what else is zero doing just in the space for both the accountants and smbs yeah great question so um to, I mean, I, I'll, I'll do a quick short plug. We recently did our zero beautiful business fund, where we, uh, which is probably one of my highlights of my year. We we opened up a whole lot of categories around businesses doing awesome things around sustainability, innovating with technology, innovating with growing their their, their business. Um, and we had lots of small businesses from around the world apply, and we got to see all their stories. And um, we gave over seven hundred fifty thousand dollars away in different grants to regional winners in each country and then global winners. So. That was actually really powerful to see. And lots of our ABs helped champion their small businesses to enter that. So um that was really it was it was a really nice positive thing. Um just to take a take a different turn from talking about cash flow challenges. So uh, right. it was awesome to see what you know small businesses doing out there. And um it was we 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 really love working with our partners to be able to get out and, and celebrate some of those small businesses and help um with those grants. Um we run a lot of reports. So the other one that's been um just come um uh, come out as well as the zero, uh, so the zero um, state of the industry report. Um, so we run this report. You can go to, our, our, I think if you just Google zero XCRO state of the industry, um, we run this report where we survey a whole lot of accounts and bookkeepers around the US just to look at key insights around what's happening um, in this space. We run it in every country. So if you really want to geek out with it, you can change US and the IRL to AU and see all the different um, what's happening across the accounting and bookkeeping profession in different countries. But sort of the, the key insights that we found from the latest report is it's been a really good year. Um, practices across the board have reported growth from the ones that we surveyed. So 75% reported an increase in revenue and 73% reported an increase in profit in the past 12 months. Um, and small, medium and large practices have experienced the greatest increase increases. Micro practices are less likely to have seen this growth at 24% um, have reported that it stayed stable this year. Um, the second one is, as we know, bookkeeping and compliance services remain key. And as actually, as I always say, they're connected still to CAS. There's the continuing shift to CAS client advisory services um, is happening, um, which practices are saying are bringing client servicing and growth benefits. So from the survey group, um, CAS is now offered by 41% of the practices that we talk to. Um, and for 19% of those practices, um, they've added that service in the last 12 months. So still lots of new, still lots of firms uh, entering the space. So it's still a very um, fast growing service line for accountants. And to our previous discussion on cash flow, this is really the critical piece to being able to be that advisor and they're well to, to be connected to the client, to be doing their data regularly so that you can then build on that advisory service uh, on top. Um, a lot of um, the other thing I think, which is on the CAS space, is we saw that you know CAS may also be the reason why many practices are growing back to the growth stat. Uh, the, the firms that reported offering CAS have reported adding more clients in the last year compared to those who don't offer CAS. Um, so if you offer CAS, the you added 58 new clients versus 33 if you said you didn't add care. So it's, it's you can see it's a key lever for growing your client base. Um, an increasing number of practices have reported billing using value-based pricing. So even though many firms have been on this journey for a long time, there's still a lot of um, 
time-based billing that goes on out there and and, and but they're, they're seeing the commercial and client benefits that it brings so um, the majority of the practices we survey just over 60 percent have at least 25 percent of their client base on either value-based pricing models so um, it's good to see that that's 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 still checking up um, on to cloud uh, of those surveyed uh, cloud usage is high and the benefits are wide-ranging so practices are sort of agreeing that cloud users do better work for clients and have a happier workforce so hmm. um the reasons they're looking to adopt cloud are both operational and commercial. So there's sort of benefits across the board. So um, to, uh, we, who we survey, two thirds of all the practices agree that cloud using practices have higher staff retention, 66%, um, and attract more new staff, 68%. And that's super important when you think about the labor shortage in the competitive labor space for um, accounting talent. And the majority of those surveyed, 71% agree that practices that use cloud software can service their clients better. And the last point is that practices that surveyed who use cloud-based software are more likely to report increases in their commercial metrics. Um, so we survey the, the users we surveyed were also more likely to have a report on increase in revenue. So higher cloud, 78% versus 58% of non-cloud users. And the growth in profit uh, was from 75% of cloud users versus 54% in the non-cloud users. So and we, we saw about 35% of those practices surveyed directly cited the use of cloud software as the reason for their revenue increase. So the reason we do these reports is obviously there's lots of stuff out there for AB saying you should do this, why aren't you doing this? And, and really, it, again, it helps inform us on where practices are at and, and where the challenges are and where the opportunities are so that we can better hone our products and services and the support and partnership we provide the profession. But also it helps give some, you know, we're accountants, so... You can tell me I should do CAS, but um, I think it's more meaningful when you see, you look at your peers and can see meaningful data points around the impact it's having on their practice. Absolutely. So what, um, do you have any like firsthand, so, you know, as we talked in the green room, kind of, you know, here's the, this is what the report says. You've got a lot of, lot of accountants that you deal with, again, on a regular basis. Are the clients that you're dealing with, are they seeing similar type results as to what was uh, presented in, in this study, yeah, they are. it's 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 we spoke about in the last time of the podcast, right? The journey to advisory, and and yeah. you definitely see those that are willing to. There's that what is CAS, and then there's a how do I get to it? Um, and so some firms, there's definitely firms that have sort of set it up and gone. I'm going to start up a CAS department. I'm going to pick some of the cool kids, put them down the back of the office, and they can go find some CAS clients. And I highly encourage firms to go think about integrated advisory, right? If you're doing 500 small business tax returns, you don't need new clients. How do you, how do you uh, go like this? The secret would be called as write up, which is often doing the whole years with a bookkeeping, cleaning up the clients' mess to get to a tax return. Yeah, we're running client advisory services, which means potentially outsourced accounting for them throughout the year. That makes our tax return business way more sticky and way more efficient. And now when I connected to that client, we can build those services on top. So I think there's a you need to think about CAS as is a connected part of your overall firm strategy, not a silo. Um, so practices that I'm seeing do that really well are really starting to see benefits on the tax side of the house. They're doing tax returns faster, cleaner, and the, and the clients are less likely to leave them because they have that regular engagement. And they're driving much more increase in revenue per client because they can see what the client's doing because they're working with them throughout the year. Um, there's still a lot of firms that are dipping their toe. And I always say whenever you're going to try something there's don't jump in the deep end, totally get that. Um, but also if you don't put your foot in, you're not going to get a sense of the water. So 
you know, you really have to think about, and this is where we actually get really fired up at Zero is the team at Zero here that are out across the country, how do we work with firms to connect them to other firms in our community that have done it before to help guide them? We have ambassadors and evangelists to help support other practices go on this journey. Um, so you're working with a peer. We love to share best practices from all the partners that we work with um, to help get you started. But there are, the other scary thing for me is, I mean, we have such a range of partners now from the big end of town um, down a small, you know, I think that the T100 really get CAS, they're building out sophisticated CAS departments. Mm -hmm. Always remember though, it's not the big, our founder Rod always used to say, it's not the, not the big that eat the small, it's often the fast that eat the slow. So there's a real opportunity for the emerging new practices that are starting with clean technology and without the legacy as well. So I think, um, the, but, but what's kind of scary is we have a lot of innovative partners that CAS is so yesterday, right? They've, They've had CAS running for nearly a decade in their practice and they're moving on to the next thing. And I have a lot of fun chatting to those practices because they're like, why are you still talking about CAS, Ben? And I'm like, well, scary thing is there's still so many practices that aren't doing it. Um, they can't get out of the challenge of compliance. Compliance is awesome. I'm totally, it's the backbone of the profession still. Um, and actually, as I said before, it's connected to doing advisory. Um, but there's so many, it's still scary how many firms aren't, um, aren't at that point where they can offer CAS. And, I think it's exciting, right? We've you've been reporting on this segment for a long time, and technology was always going to, um, you know, there was always the doomsday people that technology would be the end of the accounting profession. Well, yeah, we're, we're two decades into cloud um, plus, and it has given us more opportunities than ever, and we're still struggling to get out of compliance. So I think my advice is embrace technology because when we're sitting in a world where there's only two, there's two for every two jobs in accounting, there's only one candidate. We need a lot of this, these technology technology solutions to help automate, streamline a lot of those lower value compliance tasks, so we can get to the real high value power that we bring in bring in advisory. Yeah, and I think too, if you're a if you're a ten year old firm, fifteen year old firm, there's somebody that's coming out of college tomorrow yeah. who has already embraced the cloud technology, who has already been taught a lot of this information, and can go and will go out and start taking your business. Yeah, and then we have to borrow, business but... ownership's changing, right? So it's that you've got the grads coming out that, to be fair, you can start a firm now with a laptop and a car. Yep. Um, and you can be out there meeting the clients on site, running, running a totally different level of service. Um, but we also have to remember the clients are changing, right? The clients, we've got Gen Z now coming into business ownership. We've got the millennials firmly entrenched in business ownership and they want to engage totally different. So, we, you know, we have to meet the clients where they are. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it's changes scary, but I think it's, it's a really exciting time for the profession. Well, I think it is too. I think massive, massive opportunities. And that's it, it, even, you know, if I look at my business of one, you know, and just seeing how we work with our accountant and how we've worked with accountants in the past and what I would say are some gaps in service, you know, current and in the past, um, or just massive opportunities, again, in my opinion. And a lot of that is around that advisory. And it's around what we were talking about before in the cash flow. You know, call me once a month or send me an email or have an automation yeah. set up that says, hey, by the way, you know, your bank balance is at X and you know, your receivables are at Y, and this is what you typically get in receivables in a month. You know, you're gonna be out of money in three months. What are we doing? Helping educate them on how to use the tools better because 
you know, you, you used, I mean, as accountants, we're in a lot of these tools every day, right? For our accountant, for our small business owners that are a, not, a lot of them not accountants and B, not technology experts. And like, it, it amazes me and, and the cash flow stats we're looking at. We have a functionality in our product where you can set up zero to auto remind your, you know, auto send invoice reminders if they haven't paid you. And um, you got to go turn that on. And it, it still amazes me how many small businesses haven't utilized that part of the product. Because again, right. They're not accounting software natives. They 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 want um, you know they they want to get it set up. But we're a big part of helping educate them to get the most power out of the software. Which parts of make which parts will matter more to them than other parts they don't need to worry about. So again, we can be a big player in helping you know educate on technology as well and and, and make sure they're using it to the full power. Yep. Well, I want to don't want to run out of time, which we're I think we've gone long anyway. So two more questions. One is what is going on at zero, and and by that I mean um, I know when last time we talked, um, and then at zero, uh, what is it, the road show you did here in Atlanta? I uh, had some conversations with some of your people there. Um, sounds like zero is making an obviously you have an investment in Denver. Um, you're investing here in the I'm in the Atlanta area. Any other uh, any other areas around the country that that are on that kind of target list for zero currently? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So overall at a global level, um, it's a really exciting chapter and we are entering a new chapter at zero. Um, we're really excited by the results we took to the market um, at the end of our first half, which went, came out in, 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 in November. And what it really showed was a focus on, you know, we're still growing, we're growing EBITDA, growing free cash flow, um, but uh, and, and a good result from a net profit perspective. It says we really focus on we're a growth company, but it's about disciplined customer centric growth. Um, and America, North America, is a really big part um, of that growth story. Um, it's been you know we talked to the market about um, we just did a big deep dive on our US strategy, and we should sort of shared some insights for that. And where we're really going to be focusing, we are really focusing in on the CAS. Um, accounting and bookkeeping space, client advisory services, and really thinking about making sure our pot products are set up to play strongly in that space. At the roadshows, we launched um, the new automated sales tax with a whole suite of new reporting powered by Avalara um, into the platform. That's now out and, and um, customers are using it. We're seeing great response from the customers that are jumping in early. Um, we also launched our Zero Inventory Plus for sort of businesses that are selling multi-channel um, e-commerce and hybrid retail e-commerce. That 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 platform's now out and customers can sign up for that. So, you know, a much stronger solution for um, businesses in the goods space. It's always doing lots of work in the bank feed space. So we've been bringing more and more direct feeds out as part of that. And, you know, our focus in the US is very much, we have teams on the ground. Atlanta is a key focus city. Um, there's a lot of other cities. We have, uh, we have about eight cities where we have teams on the ground. We have account managers. We have um, CPAs that, that support as partner consultants, we have uh, our ambassador network. So we really, you know, we pride ourselves on showing up. Um, yes, we're a technology company, but it's the power of us as people um, helping customers go through this uh, journey. So, um, you know, we've, we've, we've been pushing hard on, on those um, and we're growing. We were really in, in North America at the last half. We, uh, we grew our subscribers to 396,000. Um, and our US business, you know, it's got good momentum and it delivered a really good balance between subscriber growth and ARPU expansion. So as you know, the, the investor market has changed. And so people, it's not growth at all costs for companies. And for Zero, we've been on this journey for a long time um, around, you know, sort of those key milestones around looking at cash flow, self-funding, being able to grow ARPU, lifetime value of a subscriber. Um, so no, it's, it was a, a really exciting set of results. Lots of changes. Um, we've got lots of new people joining. Sekinda 
joining as our new CEO, who's uh, ex Google and was a founder of Yodley. Um, she's she's based in the in the Bay Area. Um, our new chief product officer, Dia Jolly, has come across from um, Okta and, and Google also. So she's she's joined. Um, so lots of uh, lots of new talent joining, which is exciting as well as we really um, gear up for the next phase. Um, so, but you know, one thing that remains really true for us, you know, we are maniacally focused on small business and helping them. Um, and we believe that, you know, and we believe and we know, because this is why the business was originally founded, the power that an accountant and bookkeeper play in that equation. And so as we think of, you know, when we think about our mission for small business, the, the accountants and bookkeepers are such a key part of that mission. Um, and so as we think about our tools, how do we help them be more connected to small business? And how do you, um, how, and we'll wrap on this, how does uh, Zero define small business? Yeah, so I mean, from the cash flow study, we look at sort of zero to 50 um, employees, um, but we go pretty well up to zero to 100 employees. Uh, it's, it's it's a tough one because there is a lot of different definitions. The definitions right. change by country, but yeah, really businesses that are, that are employing people um, up to about 100 is, is where zero really plays well. Um, and as you know, with our ecosystem, it can often take us further up the, up the value chain, but that sort of zero to 50 employees yeah. is the real sweet spot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't exactly sure what that was. Yeah. Cause you know, the U S government would tell you, you know what, you know, 5,000 employees and under is a small business, like yeah. what? lost your mind, yeah. So, yeah. which we all know they've all lost their minds anyway. Um, let's wrap up on zero con. One of the best shows in the space, August the 14th, 20, uh, 14th and 15th, 2024 in Nashville, Tennessee. So you're going to get a, a big hat and some some boots. Well, you're in Denver. You might already have a big hat and boots. Yeah, yeah I do actually have a big uh, Stetson hat just so so people. So uh, even though I've, I've lived here for seven years, so I thought I can go get myself a Stetson. But no, we're super excited. Look, Zericon is, um, yeah, I remember a, a journalist once calling it the Coachella for accounting. So it's it's getting the accounting and bookkeeping community together um, who are part of the Zero family, bringing together all the technology partners that are in our ecosystem and our strategic partners and and coming together to really learn. Um, I think what I'm excited about this one is we're going to have lots of product to share, um, lots of cool announcements, and a, and a great fun time together. Nashville is going to be a great place to have it. I also, one of the trends that I'm seeing, which is uh, super exciting, is Zericon used to be very country by country. And this year we're switching it up a bit. We're sort of moving it on a rolling schedule around the world. Um, and so I was actually down at Zericon in the Southern Hemisphere where we get partners across Asia, Australia, and New Zealand. And we launched Zericon Nashville um, and the amount of Australian partners and New Zealand and Asian partners that we're yahooing that want to actually start to travel the world um, and come up to to the Nashville uh, Zericon. And, you know, I'm pretty pumped about it being a global event because as I've had experience in every different country around the world with accounts and bookkeepers, there's, there's different strengths and weaknesses and bringing a global community of ABs together to be able to share and learn and every country's got its own differences. I think it's going to be super powerful. So, um, I think we're going to see more partners than ever at Zericon Nashville, and we're going to have more things to tell you about than ever because we are really serious about this market. Um, and, but we're also going to have lots of people coming in from around the world as well. So it's just going to be a great place to be and a lot of fun as well. We'll be pretty tired. as we Everyone's always pretty tired when they jump on the plane and fly home from that event. Yeah, everyone I've, I've been to has been a great event, a fun event, a lot of great people. The um, So we'll wrap on that. But the key thing, so the... Uh, this report, um, I'm pretty sure we put this report on Insightful Accountant, but if not, we'll certainly get it up there. We'll get that cash flow report there. We'll also get it the state of the, was it called state of the profession or state of the industry? What state of the industry. I know that's a, it's, it covers both accountants and bookkeepers. So if it was the state of CPAs, we call it the state of the profession because 
I know that it's important, but yeah, it's the industry. And if you're a CPA, of course, it's the profession. Okay, great. Yeah, and we'll get that posted as well. And we'll put those links down in uh, in the recording. And then we'll, again, have it on the website. Ben, thank you so much. Appreciate you cut, carving out some time. I think we said 20 or 25 minutes, but I think we may have gone 50. So sorry about that. Um, well, it's uh, sorry, it's probably it's still build up a little bit more for you for your walk home. Yeah, thank you. All right, well, if we don't talk, have a, uh, have a wonderful Christmas. And uh, we will uh, talk to you very soon. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode of the Accounting Insiders podcast is brought to you by Out of the Box Technology. Out of the Box Technology is your partner in accounting data services. With over 7,500 industry migrations performed and an expansive network of third-party integrations, a partnership with Out of the Box will augment your advisory practice and turbocharge client accounting operations. Visit outofthebox.technology.com slash insightful-accountant to get started.